Well, before we turn our faces full towards 2011, I didn't yet want to turn my back on Christmas. Because I really think that God has a message for you that will challenge you and set you up for the coming year that is important to you. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. And I want to um, read the Christmas story to you all over again. Through Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18 and right through the end of chapter 2. And I want you to, um, as we're reading it, I want you to, to look at the story all over again from Joseph's perspective. I want you to think about what it would be to be the head of a home, be the head of a family, to have a responsibility that was placed upon him, and then consider all of the circumstances, all of the events, and all of the issues that he encounters along the way in the early stages of Christ's birth and coming to earth. And I want you to think about what it must have been like emotionally for him so that we can prepare ourselves for 2011. You know, I, uh, as we, before we launch into verse 18, and as I was looking at this this morning, um, I couldn't help but notice something that I really hadn't, hadn't noticed with impact before. In verse 17... It's a summary, of course, of the first 16 verses of the chapter, which is the genealogy of Christ. And it talks about the the generations, Abraham to David, David to exile. And then this caught me with a freshness this morning. From the exile to the Christ. You know, that's that's the testimony of our lives. Right there in that little phrase, Once we were alienated from God, once we were exiled, once we were far off, from the exile to the Christ, that's the journey to life, life abundantly. Well, that's another sermon for another time, but a little appetizer. Have you had some appetizers this week? I've had a few appetizers. I've had way too many appetizers. That's a little appetizer. Now, let's look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Remember, Joseph, that's what Mary told you. It's true. Is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child. And will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. 
On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Our Father, uh, this is your word. And you have um, set for us a pattern that uh, will challenge our lives. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage us with your word. Speak to us, Lord. Uh, speak to each heart here. Uh, Father, um, the fact that Christmas has come and gone has not changed the fact that that. Among many of us, there are, are heavy burdens and, and difficult challenges and circumstances that are relentless. Father, there are situations that, that we have prayed and prayed about and they haven't gone away. There are perplexities and distressing things in our lives. There are challenges yet to come, Lord. There are situations that we have prayed about over and over and over again that have not changed. And Father, there is... Um, hidden in some hearts this morning, the the thought being entertained that perhaps you've abandoned us, that perhaps you're displeased with us, that perhaps, um, perhaps that, um, that you have become unable to help, or that you have changed who you are, Or that circumstances are bewildering you. Lord, I pray as we gear up our hearts through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit for this coming year. That you would use this text, original pattern, original Christmas story. to, um, To settle some issues in our life. To give us a resolve, Lord. To face this year with new confidence and new hope. And a sense of, um, of your direction in our lives, I pray. For ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Eugene Peterson in his book that was a commentary, is a commentary on David's life. Wrote this, anyone who has anything to do with God spends time in the wilderness. And maybe you feel like you've been spending an awful lot of time in the wilderness. And um, in truth, you may be right in the center of God's will. You may feel like you've been sort of shuttled off to the side or, or, or uh, wandering around with some sort of aimless situation. And I got thinking about Joseph, you know, and, and this great announcement of the Messiah coming into his family and and he would be the responsible to be the leader. And then I think of all the incidents that occurred in a short order of time. And, and I don't know how you were noting it as we were reading this morning. But, 
But it just seemed to me like if I were Joseph, I would be wondering what in the world is going on. I mean, if in fact I have been selected to be the leader of a family that would raise the Messiah, I really honestly would have been expecting God to make it a whole lot better, a whole lot easier, and for things to work out. I wouldn't expect to be chased into a a, a cave because there's no room in an inn. I wouldn't expect to be chased down to Egypt because people were going to try and kill the the, the baby. I, I wouldn't expect to be asked to migrate back up to Israel and settle back in Nazareth. I wouldn't expect all of those things. I would have expected that, that perhaps God would have just cut me some slack, give me a bit of a break. Maybe, just maybe, that God would say, you know what, you're going back to Jerusalem. I built a palace for you. You're going to raise the Messiah in a palace. That's what I'd be looking for. I, I wouldn't be anticipating... Wilderness and challenge and running for my life. When I was a kid, maybe you, you were the same. Did you, did you learn that little ditty? That, um, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine all the way. And what? All that I need for tomorrow. Now, you know what? When you lost your G.I. Joe uh, action figure and you thought you were in the wilderness, that, that kind of ditty, that thing worked for me. You know, when, it was, when all it was is a lost Barbie doll, not me, but my sister. <laughs> my dad set a standard in our house early. My son will not have dolls. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. In those days, that little ditty seemed to just sort of pacify you. But as time went on, I must admit that sometimes in life I was wondering if, if God really does know the way. And if it's true that all I have to do is follow. And simply put, sometimes I didn't know where to follow. I wonder if Joseph was feeling like that. A few weeks ago on a Sunday night, we took a look at Revelation chapter 12 and we discovered that wilderness is God's place to hide you in Him. In fact, um, it was the place that Jesus was led on a number of occasions, not because He was bad or out of the will of the Father or because the Father was displeased with Him. In fact, wilderness is a reminder that we are strangers, aliens, sojourners to this world. The challenges and the frustrations and the attempted assassination of the Messiah at an early age were just reminders to Joseph that this world is no friend to the things of God. So this morning, to set you up for this coming year, when you are seeking the Lord's direction in your life, the Lord's will for your life, what should you be looking for? And I want to pull out three snapshots very quickly this morning of the early journey, Joseph and Mary and the Christ child. Because I don't think there's a better example for us of understanding God's will than to study the life of Christ. And so let's look at the early years. And let me just set you up immediately by saying wilderness was always getting in the way of easiness. The first statement that is made to Joseph is this. Joseph, do not be afraid to make a life together with your pregnant fiancé. You know, that doesn't sound all that good. And it sounds like a, a challenge. It sounds tough. Joseph, you better know something about this journey. If it's comfortable and convenient and low cost and easy that you're looking for, It's not likely to be the case. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Uh, Sometimes, beloved, God's purposes in our life present significant challenges and a lot of discomfort. This um, statement that was made to Joseph, don't be afraid to take uh, Mary 
home as your wife, in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1, is uh, pretty insightful to us, I think, and helpful. We've looked at this, and I don't want to spend a great deal of time on this, because we've looked at this this Christmas season, but I I want to touch on it again, because I, I don't think we should leave it without making sure we understand the nature of the struggle here. Joseph was afraid, perhaps for a variety of reasons, about taking Mary as his wife. Not the least of which, he was wondering, could he be actually, by taking her as his wife, choosing to move outside of God's will? Because after all, we need to understand that the whole point of the betrothal period in the Jewish context was to legitimize the, the legacy of the family. It was to, to legitimize the, the offspring and, and the, ultimately the inheritance. It was to make sure that the child that was born into your family was actually part of your family. And so he was wondering, I'm sure, as a righteous man, a man of God, a man who understood, even by the declaration, son of David... He was wondering whether he was potentially jeopardizing the line, the kingly line. This crossed his mind, I'm sure. Although there was no uh, king in the, uh, the Davidic line serving and reigning over Israel at the present time, uh, Joseph, understanding the scriptures, was anticipating that that was to occur. So he was wondering about that, I'm sure. He was also wondering whether or not Mary Becoming his wife could be a woman who he could trust. Could he trust her character? Is this woman God's woman? Is this way God's way? And then perhaps he was wondering about the cost of misunderstanding that would take place within the community. It had to go through his mind. I wonder how many orders he would lose in the carpenter shop. People who refuse to see with their hearts or listen are always a challenge to the things of God. It should not uh, pass by quickly that the community had not forgotten about the the supposed challenge to the birth of the Messiah. It was when they were challenging Jesus in his ministry, and he was speaking to them in John chapter 8 about their own descendancy from Abraham. And he said to the uh, naysayers around himself, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. But as it is, you are determined to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Of course, he was referring to their following the the, uh, character of Satan. And here's what they said to him. A very snide remark. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. We don't have a question about our lineage. We don't have a question about our legitimacy. But you, the rumors have been rampant in this town ever since you came. I think Joseph might have thought about these things. I think he might have thought about the fact that... uh, He was asked to go to Bethlehem with his pregnant, now pregnant wife. An inconvenient time for a census, don't you think? The last thing he needed was a trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It must have have crossed his mind at least before he kneeled on the ground and prayed... Who's the travel agent that set this thing up? I mean, I mean, is this really something that God the Father arranged? No, there's no way I'm going to buy into that. This is some 
crazy idea by some annoying government. But it was that government that God the Father used to make sure that the family got to Bethlehem at just the right time so that the Messiah would be born where he was prophesied to be born. And God, in choosing Joseph to be the leader of that family, knew that he was a righteous man. And righteous men obey authority. And so the authorities had demanded that he go to his home to register. A righteous man does what he's told, and he goes. Can I just say to you that the Lord's leading is not necessarily comfortable or convenient? Maybe you've already figured that out in your life. But I think you need to embrace that as a principle for 2011. Just because it feels uncomfortable, just because it becomes inconvenient, just because something becomes costly to you, just because something isn't easy does not mean you are outside of the way of God or outside of God's will. So if you fear challenge, it will be very difficult for you to live by faith. If you exclude the difficult, the uncomfortable, the inconvenient, it will become impossible for you to live by faith. What if Jesus had not been willing to leave heaven? What if Jesus had not been willing to curtail the full expression of his divinity? What if Jesus had not been willing to allow his arms and his legs to be bound in claws and to be placed in a cattle feeding trough? What if Jesus had not allowed his hands to be pierced on a cross of Calvary? Joseph parented and precisely carried out the purposes of God in the Messiah, not because it was comfortable or because it was convenient, but because it was right. And he was obedient. And he followed the leading of the one in authority. I want to look at a second, a second uh, statement that was made to Joseph. You'll find it in the second chapter, verse 13. It was after the Magi had presented all of the gifts. It was some years later. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Joseph, Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. I want you to go to Egypt. I want you to go to the place that represents exile. I want you to go to the wilderness. It surely must have seemed, uh, seemed ironic to Joseph to be running for his life with the Savior of the world. I, I mean, Lord, this, Father, this doesn't make sense. We're on the run, and you have told me that this one Jesus is going to save the people from their sins. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the one who is coming to liberate us from exile. You're telling me to run to exile. Go to Egypt. Who's in charge here? Why do I have to announce to Mary that we are making a week retreat to Egypt? Why don't you just kill Herod? Would you ask that? I know I would have. I know that would have been my prayer. I, I would have had an imprecatory prayer, you know. Lord, dash Herod's body to smithereens. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
But instead, it says Joseph was told to get up in verse 13. And then it says, so he got up and went. You may face a situation in your life that is trying to kill you or destroy you. Maybe some of you this morning are here with an illness or a a job loss situation. The simple truth is Herod was simply representing the spirit and attitude and character and nature of the evil one. It was Satan who was trying to kill the Messiah. It's Satan who's trying to kill your body, kill your spirit, kill your life, kill your hope, kill your dreams, because he has come to destroy, to murder, to steal. And you have been like Joseph praying to the Father. Can't you just destroy what is destroying me? Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't that be the way to accomplish this thing? And then you have to ask the question as you understand the pattern of Joseph's life, the pattern of the scriptures, the pattern of God's people throughout the scriptures. Is God's fundamental purpose to initially demolish all of our enemies or to fashion our character? What is the purpose of God? Could he not destroy the evil one immediately right now? Should we assume because he has not taken care of Herod here that he's unable to take care of Herod? Should we assume that that Herod is stronger than God and that's why Joseph had to run? Well, that can't be the takeaway message. That can't be the takeaway lesson. The picture of our king The metaphor in the scriptures is the morning star who leads his people out of darkness, out of exile. Not annihilating it, but shining the light in spite of it. Sometimes the the behind-the-scene hassles are, in fact, safety preservers. So you're repotted into a difficult setting. Sometimes God wants you to stay in that difficult setting. Sometimes it's the platform and the context God uses to produce servants. He doesn't want us to become spoiled and pampered people with a sense of entitlement. Treating God as if he's some sort of waiter. He sometimes asks us to run into hiding so that we are reminded that we are his servants. The Lord's leading may grow out of very difficult circumstances. He may use hostile obstacles and dead ends to forge new directions in your life. Why, in fact, did he have to go to Egypt to get to Nazareth? Why not just go directly to Nazareth? Seemed like a paradox of God's power. That's why the Apostle Paul wrestled through these things and he said, you know, it's in the times when I seem weak that God's strength shines forth. 
It's when God chases us into a hard situation, into the wilderness, that he demonstrates his great power. Do you notice what it says? Come back. Come back to Israel. For the one that sought to kill him is dead. Can God take care of things? Of course he can. Well, there's a, a final uh, point that I think needs to be made this morning. And it was made five times to Joseph in this text. I don't know if you caught it as we were going through. I'm sure you did. As Joseph is wondering about what's happening in his life and why things and circumstances are so difficult, each time the announcement was made to him, in fact, five times, the announcement was, this is happening to fulfill the scriptures. Joseph, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Five times. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. Verse 15. Verse 17. Verse 23. The New Testament writers had conviction that the wilderness way was the Lord's way. They, they wrote to us to help us to understand we are not victims of fate. This thing that's happening to you, Joseph, is not where God is sort of calling audibles, as our music director did this morning. He's not calling audibles. He's, he's not winging it as he goes along. God the Father is not, is not caught at dead ends and saying, well, I don't know what I'm going to do now, Joseph. Let me think for a second. Okay, you better run to Egypt because I haven't got a better plan right now. Let me think about it for a while. No, the, the writers of Scripture want us to know that your life is not about fate. It's not about God wringing his hands wondering, you got bad news today? Tell me about it. I never anticipated that. That's not what we're, that's not what's happening in the heavenlies. Joseph, all that's taking place in your life is a well-choreographed plan, not fate. This is about the leading of God in your life. All of this is about fulfilling the scriptures, Joseph. God had foretold, God the Father had foretold centuries before that you would be exiled down to Egypt. It is crucially important for us to understand that the point the New Testament writers are making here is that the Old Testament scriptures pointed the way to Jesus. In fact, don't take my word for it as a summary statement. Listen to what Jesus said on the road to Emmaus in in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. He pointed this out to the men as he walked along. In in verse 27, he says, And beginning with Moses, Jesus, and all the prophets, beginning with Moses, meaning the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In John chapter 1, verse 45, you have a Interaction between Philip and Nathaniel, disciples would be newly becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And Philip finds Nathaniel and tells him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And uh, the, the point that is being made is that the Old Testament scriptures pointed the way to Jesus Messiah. The Apostle Paul picks up this same reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 um, and says this, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter From Christ. The point that is being made to Joseph here is this is not chaos. This is not out of control. God is fulfilling his purposes. His purposes in the Old Testament scriptures were to point the way to Jesus Messiah. 
We're to fix people's eyes and hearts and spirit on Christ. The New Testament writers tell all of us successive generations of people, you now have become the fulfillment of the scriptures. You now are the letters, the epistles. You now are what is being read by the culture around you. You are the ones now in your lives pointing the way to Christ. Your life is not out of control. The fact that you are in difficult circumstances or damaging situations or perplexing places does not mean that God is out of control. He is using your life as a letter that is pointing the way to Christ by how you handle your situation that God has placed you in. Now, I'm presupposing in teaching you this this morning that you haven't placed yourself there by your sinfulness. That's a whole different matter. That's a whole different sermon. But I'm talking about each of you who is faithfully righteously seeking the heart and mind and will and best of God and find yourselves in a really tough spot. God has allowed you to be there, not because life is out of control, but because you are now the epistle that is being read by people around you of the truth of Jesus Christ. And so, in a very summary way, let me just point out that in Matthew 1.23, when you have this announcement of a virgin birth, it looks like people are dreaming. But in fact, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Isaiah 7.14, the expressed uniqueness of the divine Messiah would come through an impossible situation. In, in Matthew chapter 2, and the discussion about Bethlehem in this poorly timed journey. This is not what I need, Lord, to have to take my wife from Nazareth to Bethlehem in her state. The response comes back, yeah, this looks like a poorly timed journey to you living by sight. But this is a fulfillment of Micah 5.2, which insists that the intersection point of the meticulous plan of God had to be Bethlehem. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, where the statement is, where the, where the declaration to Joseph is that you must run to Egypt, that, that Herod is going to, to attempt to murder and assassinate the Messiah. It looks like the most ridiculous thing uh, in light of the, what God's plan is. The response to him is, this is a fulfillment of the Hosea 11.1 text, which insists that out of Egypt... God will call his son. Out of exile, God will call his son. It is the pattern. Jesus Christ sets up the ultimate pattern. Where Israel failed, where Israel failed to be the the witness to the nations of the greatness of God, it will be wrapped up in Messiah, who will be the quintessential ultimate revelation and accomplisher of the task of being the light to the nations. Where Adam failed, the second Adam would succeed. Where the first exodus did not fully accomplish the salvation to the nations, the second exodus brings people's hearts out of bondage to sin and rescues them and brings them into salvation. Where the King David, uh, the king of Israel, uh, failed in his character, this ultimate king King Jesus in the Davidic line will sit on the throne of David forever. Joseph, you are part of an amazingly massive and complex and awesome plan. Where in 2.18, the slaughter of the babies and young boys in Bethlehem is demonstrated as the most brutal of all evil 
and looks like God has lost the ability to save little children. It's a fulfillment of the Jeremiah 31.15 text, whereby in that very text, God prophesies through the prophet Jeremiah that there is coming a day when the evil work that has taken place by the enemy of the work of God will have the tables turned and hope will flood people's hearts and the living God will come and live inside of people's hearts. An unheard of idea. Joseph, you are part of the fulfillment of that reality. And in chapter 2, verse 23, where it seems like now the Father is going to send them from Egypt to a place of weakness, a place called Nazareth that was disrespected. It is the fulfillment of of Isaiah 53 and texts like Isaiah 53, 3, where it is from that place of obscurity that God would raise up a savior of the world. And it teaches each of us that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what plan he has for you. He has not lost control of his universe because your world seems so messed up. But rather, if you are a righteous follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is working out his plan for your good and his glory. Fanny Crosby, who was blind, sung a song, To God Be the Glory. Great things he has done. And she wasn't singing about receiving her eyesight back. She was singing about a Savior who opens up the life gate that all may come in. Your life is not a series of accidental occurrences nor is it a regular intersection with bad fortune. It is a living out of God's word and promises to you. And the message to you, to each one of you who's in a place of perplexity or in a health crisis or in a distressing situation of some sort is to turn to the word of God. It is your comfort It is where God speaks to you. It is where God assures you that he is working out everything for your good and his glory. It is imperative for us to commit ourselves and convince ourselves that when everything seems out of control, we should turn quickly to the one who is in control of all things. I think that's the circumstantial message of Christmas. So I would encourage you this new year, don't allow yourself to make false assumptions and conclusions based upon what you see and what you feel. We are called to live by faith. What you see will sometimes scare the daylights out of you. What you feel will regularly not be very enjoyable. But what God allows you to believe is filled with hope and filled with him. So if it's not working out well, don't assume necessarily that you're out of the will of God or, or you're not in, in the right way. If circumstances have turned distressing, 
please, please don't necessarily think that God is displeased with you. And if nothing is easy and nothing is going right, faithfully, faithfully follow God's word. Father, I pray this morning that we might take a lesson from Joseph who you worked through in a powerful way to be a man of righteousness and a man of obedience. And a man who allowed his life to be a living letter of the truth of how you work. Father, I pray that um, that you would encourage us for the journey this year. Give us hope. Help us to not forget what we have encountered today from you. When something turns south, may our hearts look up, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Why don't you stand one more time? Just look around at the auditorium and see all these lights and these decorations. Reminds me that uh, we have this great desire to express our joy at Christmas time. And though in a couple days all these decorations might disappear from here and in your homes, I hope that you'll be able to continue to sing about these truths and the joy that you have all the year through. A great CD that I picked up this Christmas time was called, or last Christmas was called Glory in the Highest by Chris Tomlin. And he wrote these words as an, as an extra chorus to Joy to the World. And he wrote this, joy, unspeakable joy, an overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Joy, unspeakable joy, it rises in my soul, never lets me go. You're going to hear those words in this song. Hopefully you might cast them on, ponder them. And if you can sing them, we hope that it'll be something you can sing and continue to sing throughout the year.
difficulty of the Calvary Road began early in Jesus' life. And we see him in almost the last scene of his life, crumpled down to the ground, praying and saying this, not my will, but thine be done. And that's the message that God the Father wants us to embrace in our own lives. Not my will, Lord, but thine be done. And he went to the cross and died so that he could rescue us out of exile, out of the exile of our sin and ourselves. And you might be here this morning, and you are in exile. You are afar off from God. You are alienated from God. The whole message of Jesus Christ and his work is that you would reject exile and follow Christ. Embrace him. What a great thing it would be if 2011 were the beginning for you of coming out of exile, being liberated out of bondage to sin and self, and being freed by Messiah Jesus Christ. That's the invitation today. Come to Christ. Follow him. He knows the way through the wilderness. All you have to do is follow. If that's the desire of your heart, but you're not really sure what to do about it, why don't you come down and talk to one of our pastoral staff. We'll be here right after the service. We'd love to talk to you and make sure that we point you in the direction of Jesus Christ so that you might follow him with all of your hearts. Father, we dedicate this year to you. It's your year. It belongs to you. We belong to you. We dedicate ourselves as your people. Lord, take us and use us. Help us, Father, to look to you during the challenges of this year. During the great joys, may we rejoice. During the struggles and the distress, may we look to you, Father. Look to you with hope. Because you are the one who is choreographing our lives. That they might be a letter read by everyone of the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray this might be the case of of our lives this year. For Jesus' sake, amen.